Welcome, everyone, to our weekly discussion podcast. I am Pastor Kyle. <laughs> and I'm Pastor Holly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, how do we, I got to, I want to say my name, but I got to say it a little more interesting than like I did last week. Yeah. You how know? many syllables can you fit yeah, into exactly. Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> just like we were talking about. Right. <laughs> we were just talking about the Trinity and how, we, I don't know, we were just joking about how it would have been really like theological genius if they could have made the Trinity, uh, but somehow use three words. <laughs> right, right. See, this is a, a bad, it's a bad pastor joke. It's, it's a, a bad, bad really bad pastor joke. So a few years ago, my daughter, um, I, I, I said that I thought something was really funny and she was like, yeah, but was it really funny or was it pastor funny? Like, <laughs> oh, Ouch. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Pastor Funny is really that's funny. That's what I said. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's it's subtle and nuanced, and you have to know stuff, a lot of stuff about things you probably don't know, but it's funny. It's it's the opposite of dad humor, but just as cringy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. really great. So this podcast is going to be uh, a comedy central Hilarious. of Pastor Jokes. Yeah. <laughs> so get ready, everyone. <laughs> Uh, that's really great. Well, we have been in a series on the Free Methodist Way, our denominational family. Our our bishops have highlighted five values that shape uh, who we are as a large denominational family, and we've been walking through those. So this is the fourth of those five. Yeah. And uh, we are talking today about uh, cross-cultural collaboration. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of be careful when you say that because it's a lot of the same sounding word. You, yes. Cross-cultural collaboration. I kind of get tongue-tied a little bit over it. Yeah. <laughs> you did well. Thank you. you. Well. I Thank understood you. it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yeah, very good. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, I'm, again, I'm so thankful uh, that we've got uh, denominational leadership who are yeah. uh, really willing to articulate these very important values. And uh, spe- s- uh, this one, I think, is really, really important, specifically in the kind of context the cultural context that we are in mm-hmm. um it's it feels like it speaks really uh it's really timely yeah uh but it's timeless as well that's right yeah <laughs> and so again i think all of these values have this element of who we are yeah. uh, what makes us distinctive as free methodists but but all of these values are also really connected with what does it mean to follow jesus right yeah, and good theology is like that, isn't yeah. it? Where it's timely and timeless, yeah. also. And could, that's kind of pastory jokey. Yeah, was I mean, it? No, was it, was it funny it's not though? Funny. It's not. It's just oh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the missing element of our, <laughs> of our jokes, Kyle. Is they're uh, not funny. <laughs> they're not funny. Okay, just forget I said that, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're missing. Uh, yes, exactly. Oh, humor. Uh, but what's kind of fun to realize about who we are as a, as a denominational family? I think. Um, and I don't know if you're in this camp. If you're not, then great. But I think a lot of us, and this is just, I have to apologize to the world for how we Westerners yeah. uh, often think about how we are maybe the central of a lot of different things. Yeah. So we can tend to think about that in that context in our denominational family as well, especially since the Free Methodists started in the U.S., right. uh, not on the West Coast, uh, but on the East Coast. In New York, uh, August twenty third, eighteen sixty, but uh, so we began in the in the U.S. But right now, the largest part of our denominational fam- family exists outside 
of the U.S. Yes, by a large measure. By a large measure. Over 90% yeah. of the f- global free Methodist family exists outside the U.S. Right. Which makes a lot of sense when you think about kind of population density and kind of that that, that kind of stuff. But we've had significant uh, growth in our churches in yeah. some of the most dangerous areas of the world. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty incredible when you think about that. So we are, we are a, a, a smaller denomination globally, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, most of our Free Methodist membership uh, exists outside the U.S., which I love. Yes, yes, and that's historically kind of how the church works, right? Yes. Is, is that in in cultures or areas or times when things are difficult uh, for the church, it tends to thrive. Yes, and uh, and things aren't particularly difficult for the church in the United States or in the Western world. I know there are um, exceptions to that for sure, yeah. uh, but in in light of of what the church might be facing around the world, or the the uh, the problems or stressors that people are facing, religious or otherwise, around the world. Yeah. Um, the, the church in the United States or in the Western world has a pretty cushy uh, way of life yeah. right now, and so the church is growing elsewhere because the church actually thrives in more challenging conditions. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so what I mean, what's amazing about that is that immediately we get this, or we have to think about our larger uh, faith family as 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 free Methodists, but yeah. even um, as Christians, we're we're not homogenous in terms of uh, how we look, how we operate, the languages we speak, uh, our cultural influences. But we have to have this larger perspective that we are a global church. Yeah. That looks very different in in different places of the world, different languages, different ways of doing church, and that's beautiful, so and that's beautiful. incredible. And so, we have to recognize that the questions that we have to ask, since we we are in a, in a the, the context of the United States, and for us here on the West Coast, we need to be asking those questions: Do we have that larger perspective of who yeah. we are, and is that reflective of what we are doing here or trying to be? Here as well, right? Uh, and those can be difficult questions, especially for those of us maybe leading churches to say, "How do we reflect our community? How do we right. reflect this larger uh, kind of global aspect of who we are? And how do we resist the uh, natural tendency to be more homogenous in how we do things and how we look yes. at every local church?" And so, I'm so thankful for our, for our denominational leadership and family um, highlighting this that we. Um, that cross-cultural collaboration is is vital and very important to who we are. So important. And I think you really touched on something uh, great there when you're talking about uh, do we reflect our community and do we reflect the church at large? And I think that there can be opposite ends of a spectrum there. I think th- that sometimes when we think about reflecting the church at large, the global church, what does that mean practically? Yeah. Does that mean that we're singing in a different language every Sunday? Does you know What does that look like? Right. But also uh, to reflect our community, I think that's so important in, uh, in being able to reach other people and share the good news of Jesus with them. We need to be uh, uh, really, this is bit of a, a hot button word in the church, but we, we do need to be culturally relevant in yeah. that way. We need to be able to speak the language of the people around yeah. us, uh, both literally and, and just culturally. Right. But also, what if our community um, does not reflect 
the world, does not reflect the global uh, church or the, uh, the the vision that Jesus has given us of every tribe and every nation mm-hmm. uh, gathered around the throne. If our community does not reflect that, then I think the next question is, how can we as the church lead the way yeah. in making that happen? Right. That's. I'm so glad you said that. That's really, really significant insight because that's what Jesus has called us to do. Right. Uh, we want to gain a worldview that's shaped by intercultural intelligence rather than just surface realities. Yeah. Um, in the article that's written about cross-cultural collaboration, our bishop, uh, Linda Adams, writes this. That's where uh, collaboration comes in. We need each other. When our brothers and sisters around the world become real partners, we take a learning posture with them. When they recognize in us a desire to uh, be true co-laborers, they can speak hard truth and ask hard questions and learn from us as well. We all move beyond judging based on outward appearances to appreciating something closer to what God sees, which is the heart. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, you kind of, you kind of uh, uh, mentioned this, but I think one of the hard questions that we, uh, one of the realities that, that, is, um, that is true of having a cross-cultural collaboration kind of approach is we have to be willing to give up our preferences mm-hmm. at times yes. to more truly reflect the way that God has designed it to be. Um, and that, that I, for, for some people historically giving up preferences is, has been difficult. I mean, I think for all of us, that is difficult, It is, yeah. but we have to have this larger perspective and that's what we're being called to right. is to recognize who we are, that we're not just, uh, a, a church that has one a one way of doing it, or one one type of people group that yeah. are make it up make up who we are, uh, but we we have to have this humble learning position uh, to be able to expand our perspective and recognize the church for who and what it is, and understand that we're part of it. And we've got to co- yeah. we've got to coordinate co- collaborate with other people who do it differently, and that's where you begin to get a really true picture of what the what the church looks like in the heart of what God wants it to look like. Yes. Yeah, there's I think there's some some maturing there, some maturity there in that we can sometimes see um other cultures or other practices that maybe aren't our preference or aren't familiar to us as novelties, as right. something uh something fun and temporary to be experienced like a uh, worship tourism kind of yeah. thing, and and that's not helpful uh, because then we're we're still seeing it as as not the norm. We're still centering right. ourselves and our own preferences as the norm of worship and yeah. of following Jesus. Um, and then at the same time, sometimes we can be so tied to our way of doing things that we would yeah. not not be willing to try anything that's right. new. And and I think there's. Um, there's a there's a better way. There's a higher way than either yeah. of those. Yes, you know I've been really fortunate. One of the things I think that's really been helpful for me is to be able to travel outside the U.S. and to experience, uh, you know, ch- church context, spe- yeah. specifically our Free Methodist churches, in a number of different parts of the world. I've been in churches in Mexico, uh, where I've been able to teach and preach, but I I had to have an interpreter there, yeah. and that was I mean that's a great experience in terms of trying to teach in a different culture. And I'm uh, immediately working through uh, this message. Um, it, it was a message that I had done once before in the U.S. and, and just wondering, do these stories connect? <laughs> Am yeah. I making cultural assumptions that would really like, that are that are unspoken in the U.S. that just really don't make sense in right. this context? Yeah. Um, you know, even to the point where 
I'm getting all excited about a particular point. Uh, teaching on uh, Barabbas, and uh, I'm getting all excited about it. And I look out, uh, and it's just it feels like this. Just there's it's not connecting. Yeah. And so I'm starting to ask all these cultural questions. So I've been, you know, in those kinds of things in uh, like in Mexico. I've been in some of our churches in Asia mm-hmm. and in the Middle East, in a couple of different Middle East countries, um, and to be able to just go into those settings and realize that their reality uh, is so different than ours. Uh, and to hear the, the uh, I mean, to hear the different languages that were spoken, both for the songs, some of the songs we knew because uh, we, we knew what the songs were, but they were just spoken in, you know, in, in a totally different language yeah, in Hebrew sure. or, you know, we're just singing along as best we can. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's just really incredible to recognize that, that these are, I mean, significant, legitimate expressions of who we are, yes. but in a way that I'm not familiar with and a language that I don't know. Uh, but I came away from all of those settings and all of those different places. Thankful, thankful that the church, um, uh, is powerfully present in these different places and it looks different and uh, people all across the world are hearing the message of Jesus. And so I come back to this place and I'm, uh, I'm awed at what God has done. And I recognize immediately how I'll I'll say this in the negative and the positive, how I recognize immediately how maybe arrogant we can be sometimes thinking that we've got the monopoly on what yeah. the church should look like. Uh, but I, the, in the positive, just really humbled that we don't have just the one way of doing it, right. but that God is powerfully moving in other ways. So our call at as followers of Jesus and at Crossview is to just have to begin with that perspective, to recognize that we are one part of doing it, but we need to work together to recognize a greater expression of what church looks like. Yeah, I I love what you just said, and that and and being able to come back from those experiences and bring that richness with you, and how freeing that must be too, uh, for you as a leader, perhaps to to recognize. Maybe I wonder if that takes a weight off of you of recognizing. Oh yes, you know what the way that you uh, do church or or lead your community in worship, it's not the only way. No. And that and what that does in my mind is it takes that that responsibility uh, off of you. Uh, because it's not necessarily about uh, programming in a certain way. That's right. Uh, it's about it's about proclaiming the truth, of the yeah, good news. Absolutely. And I know one thing that's been um, helpful and challenging for me is is recognizing in that proclamation of the good news of Jesus um, to recognize that if if what is being said is not true for everyone. Then it's just not true, yeah. uh, because the gospel of Jesus is true for everyone. Yeah. And there are certainly, you know, e- um, uh, examples, points, cultural references that vary from place to place. Yes. Like the, what you were talking about in your sermon on, on Barabbas. Certainly, there are points that can can differ to connect to different people. Yeah. But if what is being preached is uh, is not true for every culture and every race, and if it's not true for the poor, and if it's not mm-hmm. true for women. Yeah. Then it's just not true, That's right. and I think that challenges me to really examine everything that I say yeah. about Jesus. 
because uh, it has to be true for everyone. That's right. That's really, really, really good. Uh, one of the one of the more famous stories in Scripture where we see Jesus kind of crossing cultural boundaries is found in John chapter four, mm-hmm. the woman at the well. Yeah. Uh, and I love this story. It's a little bit difficult when you're reading the story. It's a little bit difficult uh, if, if we're reading without some of the context of what's happening, what has happened between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Uh, and that they're kind of sworn enemies. It's a little difficult to understand that there's a lot of cultural implications that are happening right. here. Even religious, the religious understandings of um, uh, where the Messiah comes from, where people are supposed to worship. All there's so much here. It's yeah. just rich and amazing, and I love it. Uh, but um, if if I mean if you've been following Jesus for some time, you've likely heard this story and you kind of know it. But um, when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon, when they came back, they found out that uh, the central section of their ancient territory had been occupied uh, by this group of people who claimed to be true descendants of Abraham. So they're claiming their birthright, they're claiming their privilege as people of God, and they're living in their land, right, yeah. in, right in the heart, in the middle right of their land. Right in the middle, right. a little bit of a slap, to, slap in the face. Yeah, exactly, yeah. especially when God's people were taken away, you know, right. uh, most of them were taken away to exile in Babylon, so they come back and they're like, some it's like a squatter's moved in, right? <laughs> yes. What are you doing? Oh, and you're you're saying that you're the true family of of God, That's right? Us, and we just suffered. I mean, yeah. So you have all of these kind of things. So that those people that moved in that are took up that middle section of their land uh, became known as the Samaritans, right? And they're like, you guys have been gone for seventy years. We yeah. didn't know you were coming back, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and so you have this kind of animosity uh, and kind of um, you know. Uh, the Samaritans became uh, generational enemies right. of uh, the Jewish people, and there was uh, a lot of trouble between those two groups. Um, and so uh, oftentimes, uh, since they were kind of in more the central area, if you get um, down to the southern area of down where Jerusalem is, and people wanted to travel up to Galilee, which is uh, more in the northern part of the country, They'd have to travel. The easiest way would be to, to just go straight north and go right go through. right through the middle of the the country, right through the middle of the Samaritan territory. Right. Um, that would make the most sense. But oftentimes, because of this um, animosity and the enemies that had been made, they um, people like Jesus's disciples would likely travel around that territory to get up north, not right. go through it. And Usually. that wasn't just a statement, right? There was a safety issue. There was here. a safety issue. A lot of times, Samaritans would attack yeah. uh, Jewish people coming north or south through their territory. Sure. So this story in John chapter four, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they don't go around the area of of Samaria. They they just go right up on through. Yeah. Um, they take that risk, and as far as we know, they didn't get attacked on the road. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they did stop at this place, um, at this well called Jacob's Well. It was, um, you can read about that in the Old Testament. Uh, but Jesus, there's this incredible scene between Jesus and this woman in the middle of the day. So there's a lot of, we won't go through all of it here, but uh, there's a lot of things. The disciples had gone off into the town to be able to get some food and supplies, and Jesus is chilling there at the well, and this woman comes in the middle of the day which is unusual because usually the women would come to get water from the well and either early uh, early in the morning or later at night when the temperature was cooler. Sure, yeah. But, but what that means is there's a lot of people traveling at the same time to get to this well, so it's a very social thing as well. Right. This woman comes in the middle of the day, 
because she's kind of a social outcast from her town and doesn't want to hang out with uh, all the other women coming in either in the morning or the evening. <laughs> and so uh, you have this fascinating interaction between Jesus and this woman. Number one, he's a man, she's a woman in this culture. They didn't, they didn't, um, whether it didn't matter if they were Samaritan and Jewish, they just didn't um, uh, be alone right. together yeah. for all kinds of different reasons. But then Jesus was Jewish. This woman was Samaritan. Uh, and Jesus was a rabbi. He was this holy man. And she had this sordid past right. that you learn as you read in the story. And so there's so many cultural and personal dynamics that should be keeping these people apart. And Jesus kind of breaks through all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and not only does he break through all of that, he talks to her about the most important thing in life, which is the coming of the Messiah, salvation for all humanity, and what worship looks like. Wow. You don't talk to people about that kind of stuff. That's like the, I mean, especially in this context. I mean, right. Because the two cultural groups had different ideas about those things. Very different ideas. So all of that to say, at the end of this, Jesus is pictured here as crossing these cultural boundaries, these gender boundaries, these religious boundaries. And he essentially tells this woman at the well of God's expansive plan for the human race. <laughs> wow. Uh, this, he, this outcast woman rejected by her own society right. and, and probably living in tremendous shame. Yes. Yeah. And what's incredible is that the story ends dramatically with the entire village uh, being changed and believing in God. Wow. So essentially, this is a very uh, specific example of Jesus collaborating culturally and breaking yeah. down these barriers uh, for the the furthering of the kingdom of God, for the carrying of the message of Jesus. Right. and. These people were supposed to be enemies, enemies of not only the Jewish people, but enemies of God. Right. And the whole village was changed and saved. How beautiful. Amazing. Right. It's just amazing. And and we don't have record here of, of Jesus saying, you need to leave Samaria <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and do things the way that the Jewish people do them. Right. That's not what he said. No. So Bishop Linda, in her article, she kind of she writes this uh, near the end of her article, and then I just want to offer a couple of reflective questions for us for this week as we think yeah. um, going forward. But she writes this: As Jesus' disciples watched, he challenged them to open their eyes and see their fruitful harvest among the Samaritans. The work of convincing them that God's mission extends to all people groups had just begun. Kingdom collaboration took a baby step forward. I love that. Jesus had collected a diverse band of disciples, Jewish men whose politics and livelihoods would never have blended into a community of oneness without mm -hmm. him. As they followed and learned, he not only invited them to see these Samaritans as candidates for his movement, uh, he showed mercy to a Roman centurion, uh, an enforcer and of the hated oppressor. He surprisingly welcomed women to travel with him and to provide financial support. He touched lepers and accepted women with a less than pristine reputation. Uh, reputations offer uh, to wash his feet. He accepted that. He ate in the homes of tax collectors and sinners. He fearlessly, graciously overcame the barriers that divide people into groups and uh, uh, into in groups and out groups. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful. A beautiful, beautiful picture of what Jesus has done. Yes. And what we need to try to do yes. as best we can. So here's a couple of questions for us to think about this week. And uh, we'll end with these. 
Where might my perspective need to grow and or expand to see this reality of the kingdom of God, especially how I think about people and the makeup of the church? Do I appreciate different cultural uh, expressions, perspectives, even languages as completely valid expressions of our faith family? Do I harbor any known or unknown prejudice, either minor or major, against other peoples or cultures? It's a big one. It's a good one to to be really honestly reflective about. And how are we as a church endeavoring to look like the community and the world around us, putting on display the the beautiful multicultural look of the kingdom of God? So there you go. <laughs> These are good questions. Yeah, those yeah. are some some good questions that will help you can spend some time. Maybe take a, take one of those every day yeah. and think about it, pray about it, uh, do some reading or explore uh, in this in this aspect. But I'm so thankful for our our faith family uh, and our denominational leaders who are at, who are pushing us to ask these questions and yes. calling us to look truly like the kingdom of God, the way that God. God has designed it. Yes. And you know, these conversations, Pastor Kyle, help me so much as I process questions like these and topics like these. And so I would just encourage you, if you're listening, to have conversations about this. Ask these questions of other people, too. And uh, share this podcast and let them, you know, in on the conversation. I would just encourage that. That's so helpful. It's so, so helpful. Well, thanks, everybody. We pray that you have a great week and that God blesses you very, very much. Have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,